Well, good morning. From the intro, I guess you can assume that we're going to be talking about a wedding today, especially since we just had a very special wedding with Justin and, and Jill, and uh, you can see that they're smiling from ear to ear, very happy, and uh, we're just thrilled and excited to be celebrating along with them. My name is Dave Flam. I'm recently just been elected an elder in the church. I start July 1st. Um, so my second time actually covering for Justin. First time was back in November, and that's when uh, he flew down to California to actually meet Jill for the first time. Speaking of the first time, when I was up here, that, that message, um, I being a carpenter, had my tool belt on, if you remember, and my hammer, which pertained to the message. So this time I was thinking, well, what visual could I go with this time? And I thought, well, since we're talking about a wedding, that I should come up here with uh, um, tucks with long tails, and I thought, you know, how cool would that be? But then I started thinking, well, wait a minute, that's not theologically correct because we're going to be in Revelation 19 and we're the bride of Christ. That means I'd have to wear... No, nope, not going there. Not going there. No, nope, no, nope, no, nope, not at all. So instead, I came with my pre-rapture ensemble. Well, before we get started, I'd like to just go into a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just... Thank you for your word, and just thank you for the word that you've given to me today, and just to be able to share how exciting this is to hear about our future wedding and know what to expect, and we'll just pray for open hearts and just prepare our hearts as we uh, just learn and grow and be drawn closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Weddings are celebrations of beauty in life. They declare the love between a man and a woman. A great amount of time and effort is invested in the planning and preparations of a wedding. Family and friends will travel great distances to celebrate with the couple. Our future marriage is a marriage made in heaven, literally in heaven. Let's look at that heavenly marriage in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6b to 9. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah, for Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. The first thing to notice is the announcement. Look at verse 6b7 in our text. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, 
Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Why the Lamb? It is because we fell in love with the Lamb. It is the Lamb that came and bled and died and lives for us, who by his death, by his sacrifice, truly wooed us and drew us to himself. The more we recognized all that Jesus did, the more we saw his love demonstrated on the cross and in his life. The more we see the Lamb, the more we fall deeper and deeper in love with him, don't we? The wedding of the Lamb. He is the Lamb we are going to spend eternity with. Earlier in Revelation, we see that he is the Lamb looking as if he has been slain with the scars of death still very present on him. The Lamb of God, we are his bride. And this, my friends, is our wedding. This wedding is based on Jewish traditions. The second part thing I want to share with you is the actual ceremony for the bridegroom and bride as it was done in first century Israel, since this is the model for our wedding. They did it in seven steps. Step one, the arrangement. The father of the groom usually took the initial steps by evaluating or approving the girl that would be the best match for his son. This step could be taken at any time, either when the couple were still children or later when a son might choose a prospect and seek his father's wisdom. Additionally, the father could employ an agent or send some of the servants of his house to conduct a search for a suitable match, like Abraham did for Isaac and their servant found Rebecca at the well. He would sit down with the parents of the bride to negotiate a price. The family of the bride was the valuable member who helped with all the household tasks. It was reasonable, therefore, that the father of the groom should pay the father of the bride the equivalent of her value as a useful member of the family. The mohar, or the bride price, was high as a means of repaying the family for the loss of their daughter, as well as being an expression of the bridegroom's love for his bride and his immense desire for her. This mohar was to be a minimum price of 50 shekels of silver, that's approximately $1,600 in today's market. This bride price was usually something of great value, such as lands, livestock, silver, or gold, and was paid to the father of the bride during the betrothal process. The bridegroom would present a wedding contract to his bride. In Hebrew, this is called the ketubah, which means written. This written marriage contract promised that the bride, that she would be provided for and cared for in every way. It stated that her bridegroom would fulfill all her needs. The father of the bride would then go to another part of the house where the bride was waiting and tell her about the proposed betrothal and marriage. The bride's consent was requested. 
Without her consent, the wedding would not take place. If she was pleased with the proposed marriage, she would give her consent. Yes, I will take this man. The bride and her father returned to her room where their bridegroom was waiting. The bridegroom, upon signing his name to the ketubah, would present two cups of wine. At this point, the cup was drunk. First from the bridegroom, and the per prospective bride either chose to drink from the second cup or not. By drinking from the cup, she signified her acceptance of the bridegroom. Once the bride drank from the cup, the ketubah was forever sealed, and the young couple was known to be patrolled. The two are now really married. The patrolled, secure, sealed, a covenant. The bridegroom would then take betrothal gifts, known as the matan, to his beloved bride. To prepare for betrothal, it was common for the bride and groom to, to separately take a ritual immersion, known as the mikvah. The ritual immersion was prior to actually entering into the formal betrothal period, and was symbolic of spiritual cleansing. She would go through a ritual washing. Frequently, she was bathed for six months in costly perfumes and oils, and ointments to make her skin soft and sweet-smelling, just like what was done for Queen Esther. Step two, Harrison, which means betrothal. This is the betrothal period. This is the period, this period is also called Kiddushim, meaning sanctification or set apart. Kiddushin really defines the purpose of the betrothal period. It is a time in which the couple is set apart to prepare themselves to enter into the covenant of marriage. The groom leaves and goes back to his father's house. He leaves his betrothed. What is he going to be doing there? There are two things that he will do. One, establish his career. Two, he would then start building a room onto his father's house that would be their eventual home together. The bridegroom's father inspected and supervised every part of the building process, and only he could announce that the house was completed and that it was time to go and fetch the bride. This is what the groom is doing during this time. But what will the bride be doing? She has her job and responsibilities too. The bridegroom gave her two gifts. One, a tunic or undergarment. Two, fabric. All the fabric she needs to make the wedding gown. Now that the woman was patrolled, she was different. She was called consecrated, set apart, bought with a price. She was no longer her own. If she went out during the day, she would wear a veil to indicate that she was taken. She spent time making her wedding gown and instructing her bridesmaids what to do when the shout of the bridegroom was heard. An oil lamp burned continually in the window for the bridegroom. So her job, while her future husband is preparing a place, is to make a wedding gown and preparing her heart.
Step three, the stealing away of the bride, or nisuin, meaning to carry, take, or to abduct. When the father of the bridegroom deemed that the bridal chamber state was in perfect condition, he would grant his approval for the groom to depart to catch away his bride. There was great jubilation ringing all throughout the father's estate upon this announcement. Finally, at long last, the bridegroom gathered together all his closest friends to enact a secret entourage that could travel overland at midnight to maximize fully the element of surprise at that very moment to catch away his awaiting bride. For the bridegroom, this was his moment. The idea was to literally steal his bride away from out of the house. This action was filled with much fanfare for the abductors and was intended to be a romantic thrill for the bride. Ladies, how would you like to be um, your guy to come and do that for you, come and steal you away? For the old Jewish brides, they looked forward to being stolen away by her prince. What a thrill for her to be snatched up and carried off into the night by the one who loved her so much that he was willing to pay that high bride price for her. The bride had no concept what day, what month, what year, or even what day, although most weddings were held in the evening, usually around midnight. The bridegroom and his friends would sneak up on the bride. Suddenly, however, not without a shout first, then there was a blast of the chauffeur sounding. She must be ready to run to her beloved. The two were accompanied together by their wedding party to the bridegroom's father's house to consummate the marriage. Step four, the ceremony. The ceremony was conducted in the home of the groom's father. Only a few, usually immediate family and two witnesses were invited to come in and observe the wedding. After completion of the short ceremony, declaring them husband and wife, the bride and groom departed into the bridal chamber, what is known as the hoopah, and consummate the marriage. The word hoopah means canopy. The hoopah symbolized the fact that the bride was now under the canopy of the groom's roof of protection. Only inside the chamber did the bride remove her veil and the couple would consummate the union fully. On the wedding night, the best man would wait outside the wedding chamber for a signal from the groom. When the groom told him the marriage had been consummated, the friend of the bridegroom would announce the marriage to the guests. The bride and bridegroom would spend the next seven days inside alone. Meanwhile, the father was acting as the host for a lavish wedding feast for the entire week. He undoubtedly talked glowingly of the majestic bride that had been purchased for his honorable son. The father treated his guests to a sumptuous feast and waited with eager anticipation the reemergence of the bridegroom when yet another elaborate final celebration 
would finalize the marriage. Step five, the presentation. For seven days, the bride stayed secluded in the bridal chamber. At the end of the seven days, the groom would present his wife, unveiled to the world, and they would join their guests for the marriage feast. Step six, the marriage feast. In the first century, a Jewish marriage feast had many more people invited, whereas a few were invited to the wedding ceremony. Many others invited to the marriage feast to celebrate the marriage of the son. Often, the marriage feast lasted for a total of seven days. The doors were closed, and that was it. No one could get in. It is during the marriage feast a cup of wine is drunk by the bridegroom and the bride. Step seven, the home of the bride. After the feast, the bride goes to her new home with the groom, that which he has prepared for her during the patrolful time. The Bible tells us that Jesus left the glory of heaven. He came down to earth, taking the form of a man. We're the bride, and he came to earth to meet us. The father negotiated the bride Price, which was his son's death on the cross. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. 1 Corinthians 6.19.20 You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. To enter into this covenant with him, we must say yes and accept him as Lord and Savior. Romans 10.9-10 If you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Saying yes to him is our first act of intimacy. The Bible is our ketubah, our written marriage contract, over and over, Jesus declared his love for us. He promised to provide for all our needs, and so we should never be fearful. Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It is Jesus who will make our way straight. It is Jesus who will accomplish his word in our lives. He is the door, our pathway, by which we enter into the Father's. At the Last Supper, Jesus took the cup of wine and said, This cup is the New Testament, the new covenant, the new contract in my blood. Jesus was telling them, I'm paying the price, and the price is my blood on the cross, which he would pay just a few short hours later. Now, from this point on, we became the patrol of Christ. Now, think about that for a moment. 
because what that means is we are in that patrolful stage right now, aren't we? He has also given us patrolful gifts, Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Acts 2, 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks about spiritual gifts. Stage 2, the patrolful time, the stage we are currently in. The groom leaves and goes back to his father's house to do what? To prepare a place for us. Jesus said in John 14 that I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is preparing a place for you and I. Our job is to be on earth making our wedding gown and preparing our heart toward him. It is a time of preparation and being perfected for the bridegroom. That's our responsibility right now. We have made vows to him. Aren't we the bride of Christ? 2 Corinthians 11.2 I feel a divine jealousy for you. For I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. We should be seeking to know him better. 1 Thessalonians 3.13 so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Both bride and groom have undergone the waters of mikvah or immersion. Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, Matthew 3.16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. The bride, Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. According to verse 26, the church is now undergoing a process of sanctification. The word sanctification means to set apart. So the church is now being set apart for Christ to eventually, in accordance with 2 Corinthians 11:2, be presented as a pure virgin to Christ. Stage three, the stealing away of the bride. The groom leaves his father's house with his entourage to steal away his bride. When? When the father says so, at his timing. The bride and groom don't know when. Mark 13, 22. But concerning that day or that hour, 
no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So when the Father says it's time, the bridegroom leaves his Father's house to steal away his bride and take her to his Father's house. 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The trumpet is sounded, and the shout and the cry. Matthew 25.6 But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 and 17 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, and with, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. The Bible tells us that in a twinkling of an eye we shall be changed, that at the last trumpet, at the shout of the archangel that Jesus Christ will descend and take us up with him forever and become one. Jesus said, in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, you in me, and I in you. That's what we're looking forward to next, isn't it? When we are taken to heaven by the one who loves us. Stage four, the ceremony. My friends, it's no coincidence that the book of Daniel refers to the tribulation as the 70th week, the week of Daniel. One week, seven years in length, while we will be in the hoopah protected under the canopy of his roof, while the rebellion back on earth is taking place. The ceremony will be in heaven, and the few that will be invited to the ceremony are the few that will already be in heaven. The best man would announce the consummation of marriage to the guests. John 3.29 The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Stage 5 the bridegroom will present us, his bride, unveiled to the world. Revelation 21, 9b and 10. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in spirit to a great high mountain, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Stage 6, our wedding feast, will be in a place that the Lord has prepared. Isaiah 25, 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, and of aged wine refined. The drinking of the last cup takes place in the new kingdom. Matthew 26, 29. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine, from until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This leads to the other side of the coin, the ones who did not take part in the wedding feast, the ones 
Who didn't say yes to the Lord's proposal? The ones who get locked out for eternity. Let's look at the parable of the ten virgins, Matthew 25, starting at 10 to 13. The bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him. The marriage of the feast, and the doors were shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The doors will be locked. Don't be caught not saying yes to Jesus. We must be ready and waiting. Isaiah 65, 11-14 But you, who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you to the sword, and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen, but you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servant shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servant shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servant shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart and shall wail for breaking of spirit. Stage 7, the home of the bride. The place he has prepared for us is called the New Jerusalem. Revelation 21.2 And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This will be our new home, where we will spend eternity with Jesus. I got to tell you, there's no coincidence here. This is the plan that God has set out. This is the ceremony as it was at that time. That the dots connect together this well, because this is what God had in mind. The third thing to notice is the attire of the bride. Since we are the bride of Christ, we probably want to know how we are going to be dressed, right? Let's look at what the text says in verse 8. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. What does that mean? It means this, that we are fashioning on earth what we are going to wear in heaven. Remember, the groom gave the bride two gifts, a tunic, her undergarment, and all the fabric she needed to make her wedding gown. Her job was to make that gown as beautiful as she possibly could. Now, if you think that there are some brides that didn't bother to do that, well, you'd be right. Most of them, however, put every effort into making that gown as glorious and beautiful as they possibly could. God says that the wedding gown is the righteous deeds of the saints. In other words, 
It's what you and I do for Jesus Christ, not just an area of ministry, but as we live for him day by day. What it truly comes down to is this. How much do you love him? It's through that love that we go out of our way to do things for him. I got to thinking just my own relationship with the Lord. How, how do I know that I love him? I mean, it's not like I can just run up to him and give him a hug. You know, so I started translating it in how my relationship with my wife, you know, how, what is it that I do that shows her that I love her? And if, what it is to me is when you care for someone, you want the best for her or him. For me, it's for her. And uh, you want to bring her joy. You, you want to do things that, you know, brings happiness into her life. Um, well, two examples is my wife always wanted to play the harp and harps are expensive. So one day she turns to me and says, you know, you can make me a harp. So I made her a harp. And it's just the joy that it brings her. And, and in seeing that joy, it brings me joy. And I love seeing her playing. I love hearing it. The other example is you know, she loves gardening. She loves being out in the yard and plants. And so built her a greenhouse. I'm in the process of a greenhouse now. And just seeing her out there in her element just brings me joy. That's the same way with the Lord. He wants us out there serving him, doing that brings him joy. And yeah, I, I've gone on mission trips and or if, even if you know, different things that you do after you've done you know stuff like that you come back and you have that joy um, I just think too um, just this past week BBS the people that helped I'm sure they're feeling that joy too you know it's it's the things we do for him Those things, you know, as I shared the, the first time I was up here, the first mes message, I am more of a behind-the-scenes type of guy. I'm not one to be up here, center of attention. Uh, it's not me. But the Lord gave me this message. It would be wrong for me to keep it to myself. So... That's why I'm up here sharing this. I mean, it is an incredible message that he gave to me. And to get more complicated, I didn't know I was going to be here today. Tuesday, I had a doctor appointment. Ran some tests. He called me Tuesday night, and he told me to come in first thing Wednesday morning. Through the test, found out that my um, kidneys weren't functioning at full power and that uh, I had uh, fluid backing up into my kidneys. So 
he had to do a procedure, you know, stick that catheter in me to drain, to drain that fluid out. But then he tells me, we're going to keep it in there for one week. Well, that day I must have been a pitiful sight because my wife looks at me and says, how in the world are you going to ever get up there and preach? You know, I, had, I had called my, my boss and told him you know, what was happening and that I wouldn't be in for the rest of the week. And he was fine with that. And I, I asked him just to pray for me because I was supposed to preach today. And he, he said, well, if you need me, I, I, can, I can preach for you because I've got some messages that I'd be more than happy. And I was thankful for that, but that would have been the safe option. That would have been what was easy. The Lord gave me this message. It had to be now. With Justin's wedding, we're talking about our future wedding. It had to be, had to do it. And I just I had to push on. I had to push through. The Lord did that to us too. He pushed through. He knew what he was going to go through, die on that cross. But he pushed through all the way to the end. If he hadn't done that, there'd be no reason to be here today. We'd be lost. But he pushed through. I needed to push through too for him, show my love for him. Let's look at this in a, a different way. There are going to be some Christians standing that day with nothing but, oh my goodness, their underwear. Awkward. Especially if it got holes in it too. I mean, yes, we are commanded to be holy, but this is not the way. So why do I think this? Because there'll be some who haven't done anything for Jesus Christ while they were here on earth. But others, hopefully you and I, are going to have a gloriously beautiful gown because we've been living for Jesus. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We're fashioning here on earth what we'll be wearing throughout eternity. The bride today, the gown is meant to bring glory to her, but not in that day. The more beautiful the gown of the bride, the more glory the groom got. He looked better because his bride was beautiful. And so we make Jesus look even more glorious by the gown we fashion here on earth. That's the attire of the bride. That's what we should be doing. And we need to be asking ourselves, am I doing that? Am I in the process of doing that? And what kind of gown am I going to be making and wearing throughout eternity for my groom, Jesus Christ? The next thing I want you to notice is the assurance. 
Notice in verse 9, the angel says to John, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who are these blessed ones? It is all the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. They are blessed because they get to be there. But notice what it says next. These are the true words of God. Why does the angel say these are the true words of God? Because these words are undoubted truths of God and therefore questioned by no one. This is incredible. We get to be the bride of Christ. Why? Because he first chose us. Because he loves us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his choice, his love for us. We get to be that bride. And if it sounds too good to be true, that's why the angels said, these are the true words of God. We can have assurance that this will happen. These events will take place. Jesus Christ will come. We will spend eternity with him. And our time here on earth is a time to prepare and be ready when he comes. As I said before, we are fashioning on earth what we are going to be wearing in heaven. We need to be working for our Savior. That goes for every aspect of our life. We need to be working as unto the Lord Christ because these events will happen. We are in that patrolful stage and nothing can change that. Nothing can break that. Someday our groom, our lamb, is coming back to take us to a new home with him forever. Two final questions. Are you excited? Are you ready? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word and just thank you for showing us uh, the, the, the whole, whole things there in your word of our future wedding and how we'll be reunited with you. And we just pray that each and every one here has said yes to you and, and is preparing their wedding gown for you. And we just thank you that you loved us so much to die on that cross. Thank you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.